Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Hi, and welcome to Mintel Little Conversation, where experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Dana Mackey, Research Director at Mintel, and today we're discussing the concept of mental well-being. I'm joined by three Mintel analysts today from the US, UK, and Canada. I want everyone to quickly introduce themselves so listeners can differentiate between our voices. Marissa, do you want to say hello? Hi, everyone. I am Marissa Gilbert, Associate Director of Health and Wellness Reports here in the US. Hi, my name's uh, Rick Miller. I'm the Associate Director for Specialized Nutrition in the UK. And hi, everyone. I am Carol Wong Lee. I am the Associate Director of Lifestyles and Leisure in Canada. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. I want to start um, by giving listeners a quick idea of what we're covering. We're talking about mental well-being, and because this is a little bit of a sensitive topic, I just want to weigh in here quickly and say that while our analysts, they are experts, but they're experts in consumer behavior, so we're not clinicians or mental health professionals. We're really going to be tackling this topic from a market research perspective. What we're really going to be chatting about is the kind of evolving consumer perspective on what wellness means and how companies can address consumer needs in this area. So I want to start off with um, Marissa here, maybe giving us just a general idea of the how the scope of what healthy means is changing, particularly in the U.S. here. Yeah, consumers are really broadening their definition of health and wellness. So instead of focusing maybe just on nutrition and physical activity, they're also really looking at it more holistically because they're managing multiple areas of their wellness all at once. Um, Mentel is actually tracking a trend. We call it total well-being. Uh, this Mentel trend is really acknowledging that consumers are treating their bodies um, like an ecosystem. And so they're seeking out solutions and uh, ways to manage their health that really complements their personal health and their evolving needs. But are you seeing kind of this shift in Canada and UK as well, where people aren't just thinking about diet and exercise, but they're thinking more holistically about their health? Well, absolutely. We're seeing this in Canada, same kind of thing. And there's, there's, there's the embracing of, yeah, the physical, the exercising, but then there's also link. I think it's really interesting because there's linking the physical to the emotional. So what they eat has an impact on how they feel and, and then, you know, with the mindfulness towards prevention. So it's all aspects. I totally agree. And it's yeah, the same in the UK, this sort of gut brain um, relationship has really sort of taken off really. And people are starting to make the connection between what they, what they eat and how it affects their mental well-being throughout the day, their energy levels, their, their interactions with others, and just the general state of happiness, I guess, to an extent. Yeah, and I think too, the health and wellness market in general has really transformed from an industry to a culture. So we're mm. seeing this really play out in all categories and all markets and food and fashion, as we've kind of touched on in beauty and personal care. So I think as we really dig into this topic in our conversation, we're going to see how brands are addressing it across all these different categories. It's not just healthcare models that are addressing mental health and well-being. Um, we're seeing this in, in food and we're seeing this in home care. Um, so a lot of industries are really tackling this topic. I just want to build off of what you were saying, Marissa, real quickly, because I, one of the things that I had come across recently, where I was really surprised to learn was that actually even the financial uh, sector is taking this on. So SoFi, which is this bank in the U.S., is, is, has built out the, a platform to allow consumers to talk about how even being in debt has a mental toll, an emotional mm. toll. I, and I thought that was so fabulous. But it really does go to, go to show that it's all, it's all around. It's, it's a culture. Yeah, absolutely. Carol, I'm glad you said that because um, I definitely think financial stress is a huge mental toll on people. 
but we often think, maybe this is just me, when I think about mental well-being, when I think about self-care, I often think there's an, a privilege angle to that as well. And I mm. think speaking more broadly, it's not just about putting on a face mask at the end of the day and getting your pedicure. That self-care is, mental well-being is more than self-care. It is about tackling all of these issues and financial well-being is a huge piece of that. And I think that speaks to such a broader spectrum of people than kind of what we typically think about in terms of self-care and wellness. So, so even, even talking about self-care... <laughs> makes me think of Gen Z. And we've been talking about Gen Z a lot here. When we talk adult Gen Z, typically we're talking 18 to 24-year-olds, give or take a couple years. But I think they have really broken some new ground in talking about mental health and mental well-being because they are, I think they're kind of breaking down the taboo and they're open to talking about that. Do you think this is what's driving some of this shift? Absolutely. I mean, the data really does show that you know, Gen Zs or younger people in general are, are wearing their hearts on their sleeves. They're putting their opinions and, and values on social media, but also more than that, they're putting their the issues that they're dealing with. And I think like was, we're seeing this in pop culture with, with celebrities really doing the same thing. And it's, it's really helping to open up this dialogue about wellness from all angles. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a, a kind of an almost an experimental um, angle to to Gen Z that's that's uh, quite different from previous generations, and that extends into definitely the things that we're seeing in you know certainly in food and drink, and uh, the the ways that uh, they're approaching uh, managing you know mental well being and making sure that they're. they're addressing every avenue i think there's less of a kind of uh, a reserved nature about how they go about it that maybe previous generations would have done you know so there's more alternative options sought you know that might be uh, different that includes you know dealing with with you know all sort you know the normal f- things that we all have to deal with in life you know financial stresses you know like transitional changes in our life you know like becoming parents or anything like that they're all sort of things that um are being dealt with in a more experimental manner yeah, definitely. I agree with Rick. I think too. Um, I think millennials really started the conversation. I think we have to bring it back to millennials. We can't, <laughs> we can't let other generations take any credit. But I think they really. I think the millennial generation really did start the conversation and open the door. But to Carol's point, I think the Gen Z generation is putting it on their sleeve a little more openly. Um, I think they're really more open to admitting um, that they're suffering or that they want help and are seeking out help more so than the millennial generation is at this point. Um, But I think that the conversation did start with the millennials. And I think to Rick's point, um, the millennial generation is entering, is not entering, but is well situated now in parenthood um, in that life stage. And I think... um, mental well-being really goes through cycles and, you know, may have seasons and parenthood is certainly a season where stress can mount in different ways in the household. No, absolutely. And I think, Marissa, I totally agree with you in terms of like parenting, you know, millennials being at the forefront of, of, of this conversation because parents today are under more pressure than ever. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, there's, there's judgment from all angles. And, and I think parents, both fathers and mothers, the role of parenting is changing. You're expected to do everything. Um, you know, women have to have a successful career, but they also have, a good, have to be a good mom and dropping off their kids. But then same with dads who have been the, you know, providers for so long now also have to be, you know, hands-on with their children. And so this, this balance, balancing lifestyles is also mm-hmm. something that's a stress point. But I think millennials, again, you know, celebrities like Chrissy Teigen, for example, are, are bringing this to light that it's, 
you know, this issue of balance is does impact mental wellness. And so again, it's millennials are leading the way in that area too, I think. Right, right. And I think, you know, we're also seeing a shift to, um, for mothers specifically, you know, there's a lot of social media content, of course, but even articles online and wherever about how it's okay to not say that life is perfect or that everything is hunky-dory, <laughs> um, but that, you know, that, that there's going to be ups and downs and things like that. But we're not seeing that as strongly, I think, in the dad space. I think that there is less conversation. And actually, we're looking to dads to be more perfect and to sort of elevate their game and do it all. Um, and I think that the conversation around dads is going to have to soften a bit and and be more open i think to- i totally agree with you marissa and i think um that kind of um evolution that's being you know of the way that dads are portrayed and being able to you know i would say men i would say men in general as opposed to just fathers you know to an extent you know being able to to express their mental well-being in different ways and that's been kind of spearheaded by you know various different high profile individuals you know i'm just off the top of my head i think about like prince harry and the things that he's done to to try and you know elevate the the status of mental well-being for men but um you know i i, I sort of draw upon you know some really interesting data that's come through from university college london that's actually looked into uh, i suppose they call it the uh, the Harry's masculinity report, which is all about looking at what do what do men in certainly in Britain um, value in terms of um, their own their own masculinity. What do they think about when they think about masculinity and what matters to them? And I think it's phenomenal actually. And, and perhaps we can share this this report with with the uh, the listeners later um, because it looked at quite a large number of men across a huge age range from sort of eighteen up to eighty five, and um, you know two thousand two hundred cohort. And they found that you know maybe some of the sort of stereotypical views of what mattered to to, to men actually were, were quite were quite different. Really, uh, I'm not sure what it says really about you know um, our, our role towards um, exercise, but athleticism and sort of the way that that attractiveness and the way that that men felt was actually lower down the scale than things like honesty, loyalty, dependency. And uh, interestingly, and maybe maybe this is something, you know, that's that runs kind of uh, contra to what we think, but it said that the happiest men were actually those who were in a relationship and not those who were who were who were single or even and they were even happier even if they'd been divorced, which is very interesting. And uh, so I think it's just sort of these little tidbits are sort of changing maybe, you know, society's views around, you know, you don't have to be necessarily, you know, strong and leading the way and singling and mingling and, and all those things. It could be that, you know, traditional values still have a place, um, but it's the way that we're approaching them um, and the way that we're viewing, you know, men and equally women as well in, in society and how we think about and talk about mental well-being. I, I definitely agree. And you brought up a really good point, the spectrum of that research, you know, targeting older adults too. I think, you know, this conversation, the mental health conversation and mental well-being conversation is really strong, strongest among younger generations, millennials, mm-hmm. Gen Zs. But I think that it's, you know, these younger generations have kind of figured out the wording and the conversations that they can have around them to feel comfortable discussing it. But these older generations certainly still have the stressors and, um, you know, mental health um, diseases just as prevalently. And so I think that, you know, the older generations also need to be able to have a a source for talking about it and um, resources for care too. Um, You know, we talk a lot about the senior generation and loneliness and that being sort of a factor Mm. and an impact on their overall well-being. Um, So certainly... Um, ways that the older adults can connect and build um, and discuss their their mental health. I agree that it's it's usually often we talk about mental health and and um, 
well, technology in particular from, from the viewpoint of younger people, but actually seniors really do need tech. And I actually, one of the things that when I was thinking about mental health that, that I thought was really interesting is that actually there's a lot of tech developments that are, that are out there to help seniors um, be independent for longer. For example, I think about like Uber Health, which gives in, in the U.S., which gives seniors free rides to their uh, caregivers. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's great because then also their caregivers can schedule these rides for, for the patients ahead of time. And I think this is something that like we don't, it, it wasn't necessarily built out to be something that impacts their mental health, but it really does because if they're going to doctor's appointments on a weekly basis and they have to burden their families on a weekly basis, that's going to obviously take a toll on their mental wellness yeah. as well. So I think there's all, like tech improvements all around are positively impacting mental wellness, even though it wasn't necessarily like the primary goal. I, I completely agree with you, Carol. I mean, I think um, independence and, uh, you know, being able to to live your life, you know, to the fullest, I think is one of the, you know, one of the greatest tenets of, of, of anybody's happiness, at, you know, at various life stages and no more so than, as you say, when we get into the sort of senior years and people are, you know, as you say, maybe becoming increasingly frail and dependent um and i think there's a there's a there's a sort of cultural element to that as well um that you see you know across different nations to to depend uh to the extent that dependency varies i think you know in certain certainly i think in the u.s and you know definitely this part you know occurs in sort of western europe there's the uh there's maybe less of a dependency on on you know children to to support adults uh, as they get into the later years but certainly in other nations it's it's very much the case so that's a really interesting development from a tech side you know that helps to kind of balance things out a little bit potentially yeah, definitely. I think technology just in general is going to be really important for the mental health space. And I think technology solutions that help, you know, make treatment more accessible, even mm. more discreet. Not everyone does want to discuss um, what they have going on or where they need support, but also technology can provide sort of that on-demand in-the-moment support um, when consumers, you know, are maybe might be feeling like they could use something in that moment. But I think, of course, you know, maybe too, it's the flip side that technology could be driving, um, you know, mental health disorders or mis- mental health stress or emotional mm. stress. Um, certainly, I think people, um, especially younger generations, our mental research really points out that social media, you know, is making some people feel left out in the Gen Z and even millennial generations, um, which certainly has an impact on, on those people's um, mental and emotional well-being. Yeah, we see the same days. That's the same patterns in in Canada too, where it's young people in particular that are more reliant on social media platforms for information, for news, for entertainment, really everything. And but then it's also creating an environment where they're comparing themselves to others, and so they're feeling more judged, and as a result, also more isolated. I think it's it's. It's yeah, there's there's the good edge and the bad edge to technology. Yeah, definitely. But it's also mm. allowing people to speak out and to say, yeah. you know, here's here's what's on my mind, here's what I'm feeling. It's okay to feel this. Um and they're finding people that are having those same experiences, those same feelings, those same um things and can relate to them. And I think they also feel people are can feel heard and understood on, on social media platforms as well. Mm-hmm. So this is a bit of a sensitive space for brands to enter. Are you seeing brands be successful with messaging around this or providing products and services that speak to this or are brands making any missteps here? 
I think, um, I, I mean, I can honestly say that um, the the sort of campaign that the Burger King did um, was was quite mixed in terms of its uh, in terms of the reactions that it had. Really, I thought I thought the uh, the video that they produced around um, the the different types of packaging uh, to reflect, you know, um, you know, difficulties that people have maybe around, you know, depression or even, you know, you know, not feeling good every day, and they had a little play on words from their kind of slogan, you know, have it your way. To um, I, I think it was um, feel feel your way. I think they changed it to and they created a hashtag out of that. The video was really compelling. It was you know it was almost you know sort of um, you know cinema level in terms of you know kind of the emotional quality to it. But I think I think some people felt that it was sort of um, just another way to 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 sort of brand and market as opposed to being a genuine way to actually for people to connect and to and to be able to talk about their mental wellness. And so I think maybe uh, brands who are going to be successful in this place need to be almost as as carol quite rightly said with uber just a bit more subtle it's almost like it's a side effect of of just doing something that's good for the consumer um and so you know have you know a sort of a coffee and a conversation that kind of that kind of approach yeah i totally i definitely agree rick i think too it depends on where the brand sits so burger king bringing out their quote-unquote happy meal um <laughs> might have seemed like a stretch for some consumers, but then there's other brands that are, you know, well situated to help manage consumers' health that, you know, their messaging makes a lot of sense. Um, Cigna, a health insurance company um, in the U.S. recently launched a campaign that's really, that was highlighting the mind-body connection. So Mm. they're using a diverse set of spokespeople. So Queen Latifah, Nick Jonas, and Ted Danson. So spanning generations, spanning, um, ethnic groups. Um, and they're really encouraging, Cigna is encouraging people to sign up for their annual checkup, but when they're there to not only talk about their physical well-being, but discuss their mental well-being. So they're encouraging consumers to really make that connection between how they're feeling and how they're, um, how they're feeling emotionally and how they're feeling physically. And I mm-hmm. think that campaign, you know, really resonates with consumers because it makes sense. It makes sense that this health insurance provider would be helping consumers, um, sort of manage their mental well-being. But other brands that maybe aren't have such a strong connection um, to the space that can still do it well. Um, I recently received the Athleta um, catalog in the mail, and they had a quote, a simple quote on the cover, and it was actually um, someone on someone on social media had had said this. So it's a quote of a quote. Um, Athleta inspires women to take care of themselves physically and mentally. Finally, it's a brand I can get behind. So I think that was like, you know, a way for the, the brand to say, hey, you know, we're doing things that support you holistically, um, but it wasn't too in your face about, um, you know, a, a clothing company saying we can help you um, really pull through or, or manage your mental health um, mm. in a clinical way. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that too. It's like, I mean, brands that are not necessarily linked to wellness will have maybe a more challenging kind of time, but like in Canada, obviously there's the bell let's talk campaign, which has been running, I think since 2010, which is huge, which you wouldn't necessarily think like telecom company, what do they have to do with, with mental health? But in a similar way where, you know, they've, they've, so the campaign is such that like, um, it's January 30th of every year where it, they donate five cents towards mental health causes uh, for every talk, text, or, you know, social media platform interactions, like qualifying ones. And they've raised a lot of money. I can't remember how much, but, but something like that in, not only are they creating a campaign that, that talks about mental wellness, but then they're do- donating money. And then they're also getting, like Marissa said, with 
with your example in terms of like a wide range of celebrities and then they also have real people's stories on their on their um on their uh, website and i think it really does showcase a range but then they're also actively contributing back to the cause so it's not just a campaign it's not a surface mm. level at uh, addressing it's it, it runs deeper than that and i think that's something that's really important for today for yeah. if, if people you know because there's so much skepticism I think actually it's a great one. It's a telecommunications connecting people, having people encouraging conversation and maybe reaching out to people. Um, you know, that's a big certainly aspect of the mental health is talk to someone, reach out to someone, make sure, you know, your friends are okay, your family members are okay. And I think too, even the Burger King example that Rick talked about, you know, maybe it's more about sharing that meal together versus mm. just that specific product. So really tying in how to bring people together. Um, because in our research, again, bringing it back to the mental research, um, you know, consumers are, you know, they're really focused on their mental well-being and they, you know, they realize that there are tools out there, but they aren't really confident where to turn specifically for their, those tools. So I think that really indicates there's this void to the, that easy to access treatment options or maybe ways to sort of talk about, um, their mental well-being. So, you know, maybe brands like this can sort of start that conversation and encourage ways for consumers to, um, you know, at least start the conversation. I think so. I think, as you say, it's it's encouraging that dialogue. Um, and we, you know, if we think about the the kind of the sort of episodic way in which people tend to open up about um, anything that they're struggling with in their life, you know, it comes in waves, is it? And and I think it has to be, as you say, there has to be that kind of natural um, organic connection between something I'm doing and then the ability to have a conversation with somebody. So it's, it's funny. Um, it's funny that, that, that some of the best examples are ones that are not related to food because we <laughs> tend to do a lot of talking over food and, um, well, certainly I do. Um, and, um, it's, and so I just like to see more of that. I think, you know, um, some of the more sort of food and drink orientated brands who you've got product lines that, that align themselves more, um, more synergistically with natural cues to having a conversation, you know, whether that's maybe some of the snack brands or, you know, some of the ones who are maybe in, in the coffee side of things or tea or, or, you know, other, other beverages or other foods. It's, is, um, there's a real, there's a real dynamic there that I think is yet to be, um, get to be utilized to, to its best extent at the moment. I just wanted to throw in a really quick example where we are seeing that in Canada. So um, okay. Loblaws, which is one of our largest uh, grocery chains in Canada, has actually for the past three years, I believe, has had their Eat Together campaign, which has um, really highlighted that there's so much bonding that happens over food. And this is something, it's like they don't feature their products at all, but it's talking about how you know, there's so many life experiences or emotional moments that take place mm, over mm. over the act of eating. And so that's like, I thought that was a really nice way of subtly tapping in without saying, hey, we, we are aware that mental health is something that's important. But yeah, that's so really there are news. campaigns that we, we see in market, that mm. one in particular. And the, and the funniest thing is, is that it's, it's, it's supported by, you know, um, sort of leading health authorities, you know, even the Brazilian dietary guidance, you know, they have like 10 points in their dietary guidance as opposed to pyramids and plates and all this other stuff, you know, and one of them is um, very, very clearly to eat with friends and family don't eat alone wherever possible, which I think is, which I think is a, a subtle cue back to the, the mental health aspects of eating and drinking. So it's kind of grounded in, you know, in the sort of science as it were, which I think is, I think is really, really quite um, 
you know, some serious foresight there. And it's, it's really thinking properly about the role of food and mood and on a population based level, which I think is, which is amazing. I just wish that we had the same kind of approach in the UK guidance <laughs> at the moment. We still love our plate. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think maybe maybe to a little bit on the flip side, um, this idea came out of um, Ariana Huffington is partnering with um, P&G specifically to um, develop habit stacking. And I think mm. that this concept of habit stacking could really work well in the mental health space. So maybe not in, you know, people that, you know, certainly need the social aspect of connecting with people, but even people that want to sort of take the time that they have alone and use that to maybe be more mindful or reduce stress. And it's certainly a way that the everyday consumer can incorporate um, sort of mindfulness into, into their everyday life. So what, what um, is the idea behind habit stacking is that you connect, maybe it is dinner prep. So chopping your vegetables with that moment with sort of also thinking about how um, maybe thinking about your feelings and thinking about how you're um, maybe even bigger about mental health. I mean, it could be more about goals and things like that, but really tying a specific thing with just taking that moment that maybe two minutes while you brush your teeth to think about how, how you're doing um, and stacking up those daily habits um, with meditation and mindfulness as well. So as this conversation comes to a close, I would love to turn it back to the analysts for one more piece of conversation, if you could just give us a final thought, a key takeaway, either for listeners, for brands, clients. Yeah. So for me, I, I think just to wrap it all up and sort of looking holistically um, at mental health, it's certainly a topic that is often associated with surviving or coping or struggling, which are certainly negative connotations. So I think brands really have the opportunity to change the conversation to positively position mental health care and solutions. And I think this will really empower people and consumers. Yes, I think so. And uh, the I would I would leave with one final thought that that one of the basic tenets of of kind of thinking about mental mental well being and mental health in general is is this idea of kind of you know treatable episodes in in life you know and and not and uh, not sort of brands using a kind of tour de force approach and just kind of in your face you know it's all the time um, there but it's using things in a kind of campaign or episodic manner to get people to think slightly differently about um, different episodes in their day to talk about how they're feeling you know whether it's that kind of mid-morning coffee break or whether it's that kind of on the drive home um, or, or something else um, but it's it's making those uh, making that kind of shift in the mind of you know this is what I would normally do in this time with my you know my, my beverage or whatever I'm going to do during the day now I'm going to think of it as an opportunity to to give me some me time, as you say, to have mindfulness or maybe to ask somebody else about how they're doing. In between the bad moments are good moments, and we should embrace those as well as, as an, a holistic approach to mental health. I think we have a lot of great takeaways for brands, for companies that are thinking about now is the time that maybe we should start connecting with consumers on a deeper level. We talked about how mental wellness, although it should be connected to the category, it can be introduced into new categories. We used to talk specifically about financial services here, but also brands may want to consider serving some underserved groups, men and older adults, and thinking about how technology can play a role in supporting people in their mental health journey. So for brands, a lot of really clear takeaways, but I also want to mention for our listeners, it's October, it's Mental Health Awareness Month, so eat with other people. 
Like, I think that's a great, that's a great takeaway for everyone. So have a meal with somebody else. And thanks so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast content. We'll be here next week with another episode of Little Conversation. Little Conversation.